There was once a Bubby, a Jewish grandmother in New York City, who was giving directions to her grown-up grandson about how to get to her apartment with his wife for Passover. She said to him, you come to the front door of the condominium. I am in apartment 2B, she continued. There is a big panel at the door with your elbow push button 2B. I will buzz you in. Come inside. The elevator is on the right. Get in, and with your elbow, hit two. When you get out, I am on the left. With your elbow, hit my doorbell. Her grandson, Jonathan, said, Grandma, that sounds easy. It's clear, but why am I hitting all these buttons with my elbow? His bubby replied, You're coming to visit empty-handed? <laughs> this coming Friday night begins Chag HaPesach, the feast of Passover. Are we ready or are we empty-handed? Have we been cooking and preparing and, and cleaning the house? Have we purchased our Passover tickets for the congregational Seder? There is so much to do and so little time left. But in the midst of all the craziness, I want to call us all to prepare for Passover. And there are two ways in particular that I want to encourage us all to prepare this year. First, look to the future. And second, go on a Passover pilgrimage. Let's begin with number one, look to the future. Passover points to the future in so many ways. It is the first festival in the Torah's calendar and points to the remaining months of the year. For example, when the Torah refers to the first day of the third month, it is talking about the third month after the month of the Exodus, the month of redemption, the month of Passover. The tenth day of the seventh month is the seventh month after the month of our freedom, the month of Passover. Passover not only takes place in the first month and is the point of reference for all other months, but it actually tells you the days on which other festivals take place. Did you know that? Passover is like the weather channel that gives you a seven-day forecast. For example, the first day of Passover always falls on the weekday that Tish B'Av will be on. Since the first day of Passover this year begins on Friday night, Tish B'Av will begin on a Friday night this year, though we move it to Saturday night because it is a day of mourning, and we do not observe days of mourning on Shabbat, according to our tradition. My point is that Passover tells us the days of the week that other festivals are celebrated on. It is all encoded in Passover. Here's another example. The second day of Passover falls on the weekday, always falls on the weekday, 
that Shavuot will be on. Since the second day of Passover this year begins on a Saturday night, Shavuot will begin traditionally on a Saturday night this year. Do you want to hear another example? The third day of Passover always falls on the weekday that Rosh Hashanah will be on. Since the third day of Passover this year begins on a Sunday night, Rosh Hashanah will begin on a Sunday night. So, young people, I'm glad to let you know that you get to take off school for Rosh Hashanah this year, which is Sunday night to Monday night. Isn't this cool? The fourth day of Passover always falls on the weekday that Simcha Torah will be on. Since the fourth day of Passover this year begins on a Monday night, Simcha Torah will begin on a Monday night in 2015. The future, the future is present in Passover. A final example, the fifth day of Passover always falls on the weekday that Yom Kippur will be on. Since the fifth day of Passover this year begins on a Tuesday night, Yom Kippur will begin on a, on a Tuesday night. So, we can all give our employers a heads up that we will be taking off that Tuesday this year. The future is present in Passover. It points more, it, it points even more than what we've talked about. It points more than a thousand years ahead to Messiah, our Passover lamb, whose blood on the doorpost of our hearts causes the angel of death to pass over our sins. In the same way that knowing Passover allows us to forecast the Jewish calendar year, so too knowing the Lord and His holy scriptures allows us to know what His future plans are for planet Earth. Don't be overwhelmed, my brothers and sisters, by all the suffering and tragedies you may see in this world. We know how everything ends up in the Acharit, the end of days, don't we? It is the Passover story all over again. The book of Revelation talks about seven plagues that the Lord will pour out on the earth in the Acharit, in the last days. And how after these plagues, Hashem will descend like He did on Sinai, and He will dwell among us. This is how Yochanan, John, describes it in Revelation chapter 21, verses 1 through 5, after all the plagues are over. He says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband, just like Jen last week. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, 
Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, and let's all say this together, I am making everything new. In Hebrew, hinani ose hakol chadash. Passover is the first festival. It is in the first month when everything is new. It is a clean slate, just like Andrew wants to make our kitchen downstairs on Sunday a clean slate. Passover is a time to look to the future, to write the future. We know where we came from, Egypt, and we know where we are heading. We are heading toward the new Jerusalem. Therefore, Passover calls us to ask the question, how then shall we live between Egypt and the new Jerusalem? We should not live our lives aimlessly, but rather with a holy determination to serve the Lord fully and faithfully, so that we hasten the coming of the day when Hashem establishes His kingdom on this earth. The other day I was in Carytown, and I stopped at a traffic light. While I was waiting for it to turn green, a woman who was seeing impaired walked across the crosswalk using a cane. She was not aimless. She knew exactly where she was going, and she was determined to get there, to the other side of the road. At a certain point, this lady stopped in the middle of the road. Then she turned this way and that, trying to get her bearings with the cane. I was concerned that she might walk off the crosswalk and into the cars, and I was about to step out of the car to see if she would like some help to point her in the right direction. But somehow, she figured everything out and kept going in the same direction that she had been on. She was not aimless. She knew exactly where she wanted to go, and she figured out a way to get there. There is a lot we can learn from this blind woman. Today, there are hundreds of people running the Ucrops Monument Avenue 10K race in Richmond. Jason, were you running it? Okay. Well, there are hundreds of people out there running this race today. Some are doing it to raise money for cancer research. And we can learn a lot from these runners as well about what it means to have a holy determination. This is how Paul puts it in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 25 through 27. And let's all, uh, let's all say this together. 
Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like a man running aimlessly. I do not fight like a man beating the air. No, I beat my body and make it my slave, so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. We are called to run the marathon, not necessarily the Ucrops marathon, but we are all called to run the Messianic marathon. Are you running this marathon? Am I running this marathon? Have we gone into strict training for this marathon? Or are we running off the course to get a triple berry cobbler frappuccino at Starbucks, which I hear is on their secret menu? We need to stay the course with holy determination so we can finish the race that the Lord has called each one of us to run, each and every one of us, without exception, without exception. You're not an exception. Sandy, you're not an exception. Mary, you're not an exception. And I'm not an exception. We are all called to run this marathon. And that includes you and 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 all the other yous here, including me. What are some of the things that cause us to get off track? Paul writes in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 3 through 4 and verses 10 through 15. If anyone teaches false doctrines and does not agree to the sound instruction of our Lord Yeshua the Messiah and to godly teaching, he is conceited and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy interest in controversies and quarrels about words that result in envy, strife, malicious talk. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. But you, man of God, you, woman of God, flee from all this and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. In the sight of God who gives life to everything, and of Messiah Yeshua, who while testifying before Pontius Pilate made the good confession, I charge you to keep this command without spot or blame until the appearing of our Lord Yeshua the Messiah, which God will bring about in his own time. Did Paul practice what he preached? Did he fight the good fight? 
At the end of his life, he penned these words in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 6 through 8, and let's all say them together. As though, as though we ourselves will one day, God willing, be able to say these same words together. The time has come for my departure. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. Will we be able to say this when our time has come? Do any of us know when that time will be? The Scriptures tell us that every hair of our heads is numbered, and that all the days of our lives are numbered. Passover, the first festival, at the beginning of the year, reminds us that we have to treasure each day and view each day as a gift that God has given us to invest. Time is money, even more valuable than money. If we are not followers of Yeshua, I encourage us to get on that horse and off the fence. The Lord has things for us to do. Passover is a time to look to the future and to commit or recommit ourselves to running that race, that race that the Lord has set out before us so that in the end, we will be able to say, as Paul did, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. And this brings us to my second point. Go on a Passover pilgrimage. In the Torah, we are told that Passover is one of the Shalosh Regalim, one of the three annual pilgrimage festivals. Jews were commanded to stream to Jerusalem at the beginning of the year and to begin their year by visiting the Lord, the King of Israel, and to bring Him gifts as an expression of worship. The Lord tells us in Deuteronomy chapter 16, verses 16 through 17, we're told, three times a year, all your men are to appear in the presence of Adonai your God in the place which he will choose. At the festival of Matzah, which is Passover week, at the festival of Shavuot, the Feast of Weeks, and at the festival of Sukkot, Tabernacles. They are not to show up before Adonai empty-handed, but every man is to give what he can in accordance with the blessing Adonai your God has given you. When we come into the presence of a king, we do not come empty-handed, but we bring a gift, all the more so with the king of kings. Whenever we come to Tikvat Israel, the Lord's temple, 
on the corner of Boulevard and Grove, we should bring a gift to the Lord. We should never come empty-handed, for He is the King of kings. This is an act of worship, and this principle is all the more pertinent during Passover when we are commanded to come into the King's presence and bring Him a gift as an expression of thankfulness for how much He has blessed each and every one of us. Each year, this is exactly what Yeshua did. He went on a Passover pilgrimage. We are told in Luke chapter, four, uh, Luke chapter 2, verses 41 through 44, every year Yeshua's parents went to Jerusalem for the feast of the Passover. When he was 12 years old, they went up to the feast according to the custom. After the feast was over, while his parents were returning home, the boy Yeshua stayed behind in Jerusalem. But they were unaware of it. Thinking he was in their company, they traveled on for a day. Then they began looking for him among their relatives and friends. Here we see that Yeshua went up to Jerusalem each year, not just with his parents, but also with his relatives and with his friends. It was a community event, not an individual event. The Passover pilgrimage was a time to worship, but it was also a time to fellowship and to grow closer and closer with others. In fact, there was so much fellowshipping going on that Yeshua's parents didn't even notice that their son was missing. On that note, parents, please know where your children are at all times in this temple, especially at next week's Passover. Pilgrimages can be spiritually transformative experiences. Why is this? Anthony Salderini, whom I took several classes with at Boston College, writes in his book, Jesus and Passover, that, quote, pilgrimages remove people from their ordinary place and daily routine and bring them to meet God in the sacred time and sacred place. How many of us have ever gone on a Passover pilgrimage as God commands us in the Torah, as Yeshua experienced every year of his life? How many of us have encountered the living God in Jerusalem, on Passover, in the sacred time, at the sacred place? I dare say that very few of us have. I grew up going on Passover pilgrimages to the Pines Hotel in the Catskills. They were wonderful experiences, but I don't think I experienced the fullness of what the Lord had in mind. We live in the diaspora in Richmond, Virginia, and it is expensive to take a trip each year to Jerusalem for Passover. Should we then just diss this Torah commandment to celebrate the Shalosh Regalim, the pilgrimage festivals? Or is there a way to still keep it in our context? I would like to encourage us all to consider making a Passover pilgrimage this year, 
by viewing Tikvat Israel as our temple in the diaspora, at the corner of Boulevard and Grove, the sacred place where we will be coming on Passover Day, the sacred time to bring our gifts to Melech Hamlachim, the King of Kings, in accordance with all the blessings He has lavished on our lives. We will not be traveling by camel, but by car. We will not be bringing our Passover lambs for slaughter, but we will be… By the way, please don't bring your Passover lambs for slaughter. We, just, just, just a note on that. But we will be coming to encounter the Passover lamb who was slain for the forgiveness of our sins and whose blood has been applied to the doorposts of our hearts. Between now and next week, let us allow the Lord to stir our hearts, to stir within our hearts a vision for this Passover pilgrimage, so that when we come together next Shabbat, on the second day of Passover, that we are coming in faith, walking in the footsteps of our Messiah, who went on a Passover pilgrimage each year, and with an excitement that comes, that comes with, with the awareness that we are coming before the King of Kings among the festive crowd with hearts of thankfulness. And that, my friends, coming before the King of Kings with the festive crowd, with hearts of thankfulness, that, my friends, is the real reason for the season. Today we have talked about preparing for Passover, and I have encouraged us all to prepare for Passover in two specific ways. First, look to the future. Passover is the first festival in the beginning of months when everything is new. The future is in Passover. How we live out Passover will reflect on how we live out the rest of the year with the Lord. It is a time to look to the future, to write the future. Passover calls us to ask the question, how then shall we live? And second, go on a Passover pilgrimage. Allow the Lord to stir in your heart a vision to go on a Passover pilgrimage next week to meet with the Lord, the King of Kings. After all, this is the reason for the season. Let's pray.